Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 78 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V, and let's see what my co-host East Coasts are up. My co-host, my East Coast co-host, what am I saying here? My, my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to. First up, Dave the Alcadron Vader. I know you're a bit under, under the weather, so uh, try to save your throat a little bit, but how are you doing? Uh, my diet today has been exclusively cough drops and hot tea. Uh, <laughs> and for, for, for my suffering, I am presently capable of speech. Amazing. We thank you for that. That's how I'm doing. Back to you, Brad. <laughs> Back to me. All right. Uh, next up is our resident PDH, PhD, Liam. How are you feeling? Uh, I, I suppose I'm feeling much better than Dave. My, my diet today has not been <laughs> cough drops and hot tea. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'm somewhere in between Liam and, and Dave. I we woke up this morning, went to work, everything was fine. The wife said she felt a little ill, a little under the weather, and then I got home around three thirty and it just like hit me like a like a dump truck. Like all of a sudden my throat was gone and my my sinuses were all messed up and I not really like a soup lover, but we had soup for dinner and it was like the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. <laughs> and since dinner all I've had is cough drops. So we're uh, we're doing the thing, I guess. All right, we're gonna count this as a win for Liam. <laughs> Watch, Liam this is, gets the this w. is gonna come back to bite me next week. I'm gonna be sitting here sniffling with cough drops. <laughs> You're gonna ruin Christmas. <laughs> not, not for the Yoggle episode. No, anything but that. Uh, alrighty. Uh, let's see here. Before we go to the main topic, let's do a little bit of housekeeping as usual. Uh, if you like the show and you like what we're doing here, consider supporting us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash the PDH pod. By being a patron, you get access to the pre-show, which is usually uh, just about a bonus episode every week. We're usually catching up, talking about random topics, making jokes, having a good time, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you also get early access to the episode before it goes live. I usually post that along with the show notes uh, the night before, usually Thursday evening, Thursday night sometime. And then finally, you get access to the PDH Pod Discord server, where you can chat with us, chat with the other uh, PDH Pod patron family members, get help with your decks, talk about new spoilers, all that sort of good stuff. And then lastly, check out the YouTube and Twitch channels where just the PDH pod on both of those platforms as well. And the latter is where I stream uh, spell table PDH every Saturday evening. So um, yeah, I think I cleaned that house pretty well. Liam, what do we got for this week in magic? This week in magic is actually fairly short. Uh, the third Doctor Who secret layer is finally here. So when the Doctor Who set dropped, we got two secret layers. One was... Dalek-themed lands, one was Weeping Angel-themed miscellaneous cards. And we finally got the third layer that we were teased about. It contains the 14th and the 15th Doctors, because we saw both of those in the three specials that have now concluded. We got mm -hmm. the two villains of the specials, which were the Meep and the Celestial Toymaker, which made his reappearance oh. for the first time since his debut with the first Doctor in the 1960s. And, wow. And then the fifth card is uh, Rose Noble, Donna Noble's daughter. So okay. that is what that secret layer contains. 
Uh, we also had... Are you particularly uh, stoked for any of these cards here? Uh, I have feelings. Or, or the secret layer as a whole? I have feelings on the secret layer, many of which I went over in the pre-show. Uh, yeah. The, to boil it down really quickly, I'm happy about the villain inclusion. The villains are great. I'm happy that we got the new iterations of the Doctor. Like, it would have really sucked to have the Doctor regenerate twice, literally after we got the set drop. So yeah. I'm happy to see the new iterations. I'm a little upset that they aren't in the same treatments and card frames as the rest of the Doctor Who set. That would have mm-hmm. been really cool to see. Like, I don't I don't like that the cards don't really match the rest of the set because they're borderless. Yeah, that's but, fair. But that's, you know, a, a, a personal OCD thing. Uh, and then <laughs> the 14th Doctor being the third recent four-color commander in the sans-black color combination is kind of irritating. <laughs> Like Yeah, I, I could see that. Omnath plus Atraxa being like the new standard set for color commandos. I'm excited to see where they go with them in the future. But like also getting Aragorn and the fourteenth Doctor in the same combinations as Omnath is mildly irritating. But the the it feels flip, like a lot. It feels like a lot. But the flip side of this is the both universes beyond and some people aren't mixing the universes beyond with general magic and like at all. So mm-hmm. Like, when people build an Aragorn deck, they're just building a Lord of the Rings deck. They're not building a four-color deck. You know, yes, the oh, deck, I see what the, you're the deck yeah. contains four colors, but, like, they're just building a Lord of the Rings four-color deck. When people build the 14th Doctor, they're not building it for the four colors like they do with Omnath or, or Gabros. They're, they're just building an all-Doctors Gallifrey stands deck. Like, that, that is what they're building. Uh, sure. So... I, I can kind of look past it a little bit. I'm just really hoping the next four-color commander we get is in another one of the three combinations we haven't gotten a second commander for yet. Um, yeah. But yeah, outside of that, Ravnica Remastered spoilers began and concluded. Uh, more on that in four weeks. And then Hasbro pulled yeah. a, a kind of like shitty move, and they laid off a bunch of people. Yeah, very crappy corporate no, move. It It was... It was communicated at the start of the year that they were doing a rebalance, uh, uh, implementing a new corporate strategy that was going to result in some layoffs. I think it was supposed to be around 1,000. And like mm-hmm. in Q1, Q2, they laid off eight to 900 people, but like they just laid off another 1,100. Like yeah. they've now doubled in one calendar year the number of layoffs they said they were going to have. And that's... Right. Kind of concerning from the parent company, especially when Wizards of the Coast is the only branch of Hasbro that is making money. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I don't I don't see what else yeah. is really concerning about that is like you read some of these reports and like the toys department in Hasbro has had a bunch of really good historical years because of COVID, because people have been buying toys and because and they've been cooped up in their house. Right, exactly. But like if if the toys department is having historical highs and is still losing the company money, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, you might need to like, reassess. Like, I don't know a whole lot about business strategy, but something here is wrong. And the fact that Wizards <laughs> of the Coast is literally the sole branch of Hasbro making money and is propping up this company, like, somebody needs to buy Wizards off of Hasbro and just let Wizards do their thing. Like... Yeah, just give them so, full reign to some, do what they want. Somebody to do. just needs to buy wizards and collect a paycheck every quarter. Like, the, yep. just just let wizards do wizards things, 
and just collect the paycheck. Like, yeah, yeah, and we're not just talking about magic. Like, it's D and D magic. It's D and D and all that stuff. And what what really upsets me is part of the part of Hasbro's restructuring is they are letting go of the Canadian uh, branch called Entertainment One, uh, which is the studio that produced the Dungeons and Dragons movie we got this year. Oh, so because okay. they're letting that studio go. Unless they did future partnerships with whoever they sell the studio to, or unless they do like, uh, they they do licensing rights with like Hollywood, like I don't think we're getting a sequel to that movie ever, which really yeah. sucks because like that movie was amazing by all count by all accounts, even people who don't play D anD D went and watched the mm-hmm. movie because it was yeah, just it was a good time it was just funny, right? Yep. And like the Baldur's Gate three video game winning game of the year. And then the company does eleven hundred layoffs. Yeah, that's not what? a good look. <laughs> like, what is going on? Yeah, not a good look I, at all. I don't know what's going on, and I really just want wizards to be free. Yeah, it's terrible. I've seen a lot of people like threatening to boycott them and do this and that, but I mean, that's really that's all you can do. Is if it really bothers you that much, that's all you can do is speak with your wallet, right? Yeah. But I guess we'll see where it goes after that. But you're right. The magic side of Wizards, D&D side of Wizards, all that stuff (laughs) is literally supporting the entire toy company. I guess people are done buying Monopoly Transformers. These days, Transformers magic cards. Yeah. (laughs) Not not the Transformers Uh, card game cards. I I did not enjoy that game much. But the Transformers magic cards. Starscream is such a cool card. Yep, Starscream's cool. Yeah, I think I have an Optimus Prime somewhere. I, I didn't That's get that cool. one. I built a deck yeah. around uh, Soundwave and then tried to play EDH a couple times with it, and it was my first time playing EDH in like a year. And I was like, yeah. man, I'd forgotten how miserable this was. Mm. <laughs> well, welcome back. So, like, Soundwave is, has always been my favorite Transformer character, but like the deck I built for him, uh, I have. I don't have very fond memories of playing it because it just gets dumpstered. But like, sure. Starscream. I don't. I didn't build a deck for Starscream. I just put Starscream into a different deck. So I have very positive associations with that card. Yeah. Does Grimlock count? I have a Grimlock deck. Uh, counts as far as I'm concerned. Cool. Grimlock's yes. dope. Yeah, Grimlock is pretty dope. The OG Transformer Magic card. All right, sweet. Well, thanks for that this week in Magic, Liam and Dave, for chiming in. We can move on to the main topic now. Uh, last week. We three sat here on our high content creator thrones and told you about a bunch of cards that we think you should be playing, but maybe you didn't know even existed. Well, this week we're going to get back on those thrones, but sort of go over the flip side of that topic and tell you about some cards that maybe y'all are playing too much of. We're going to spend a little time here talking about just a handful of cards that uh, in our own sort of way, in our own experiences, and our own viewpoints have found to be a little overrated and possibly even traps to a certain extent. Uh, I know Dave has some more um, detailed thoughts on this, but uh, why don't you take it away, Dave? See what if you want to lay that out for us. Yeah, so uh, I started trying to brainstorm cards that I thought were overrated, cards that were traps, cards that were going to lure people into playing them, even though they're uh, a lot less good than they look. Um, and right. I, uh, just to be totally honest, like coming up with this list was a struggle. I had to, I had to think really hard about which cards I felt were like 
Because it's not just coming up with bad cards, right? Like, you, it's not just being like, oh, spell Gorge or Barbarian, easy. Because, like, no one Terrible. plays that. <laughs> like, that's a card. That's a bad card that everyone knows is bad. So you're trying to come up right. with cards that, like, aren't great, but people think are really good and, and maybe play too much. So the first thing I did was I tried to... I, I logged into my tapped out account for the first time <laughs> in, like, three years. So that Damn. I could So that I could look at... Like, what cards was I running in these decks three years ago that have now been cycled out of all my decks, like, so thoroughly that they're not going to show up on my Moxfield history at all? And I found a couple yeah. cards that way. So these are these are cards that I used to think were really good, and now, I've like, after playing with them, I've sort of become disenchanted by the, the idea of them and realized that the reality of them is a lot less appealing. And so I've taken them out of decks. That's That's sort of, like, criteria number one. Right. Cards that have come out of a lot of my decks. Criteria number two would be uh, cards that I sort of see come up frequently in other people's lists that like look good on paper but just do not perform. Yeah. And then sort of the third category is cards that are really, really good contextually. Cards that are so good contextually that people sort of get uh, tricked into thinking that they are good generically and put them in everything even when that context that makes them good is missing. Yeah, um, and I think that that's a really good uh, pillar, I guess, if you will. <laughs> um, that one falls into that trap sort of category, because you're right. Like, you'll put, you know, something gets spoiled, or you discover a card that you didn't know existed, and you, you slam it into one deck, and it wins you every game that you win with that deck. And you're like, damn, this card is superb. Like, why is no one playing this? I'm going to put it in all my, I don't know, black decks or blue decks or what have you. And then in those decks, every time you draw it, you're like, wow, this sucks. What am I doing? Like, <laughs> that happens to me quite a bit. And I feel like that's sort of what you're saying there. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, more than that, I feel like... The, the, so the, the card that I'm thinking really hard about as I'm trying to describe this category is Faithless Looting. And I think that, oh, that's like even one. even beyond the this card is really good for me in one deck. I feel like Faithless Looting is is sort of guilty of this because it gets banned in certain formats. Like Faithless Looting is absolutely an unreasonably good card in Modern. It's so yeah. good that it's banned in Modern. Right. <laughs> it is not a good card in Popper EDH. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, I'm gonna say it. I will I will not. I will stake my claim on this hill. Faithless looting is not a good card in Popper EDH. Uh, there are circumstances in which it is amazing. There are decks that want it. It is not generically good. It does not belong in every red deck. No, that that is correct. One hundred percent correct. Yeah. So that's sort of like my third category. Um, I worked really hard to avoid uh cards that are like pet cards. Cards that, you know, like, people people run this card in their deck because they, like, they people recognize that the card isn't good. But it's in everyone's deck anyway because people just like it. They enjoy the, you know, the aesthetic of the card or they enjoy the, the, the play patterns that it creates that even though mm -hmm. they're not, you know, this card isn't going to contribute to them winning the game, but it's going to contribute to them having a fun time. Like, those exactly. cards I tried really hard to leave off of this list. Uh, yeah. Because that's if, what we're here for. We're here for people to have a good time. Right. If your pet cards are on my list, I apologize. That's uh, part of part of this explanation is a disclaimer that um, <laughs> the things we say here are 
strictly a matter of personal opinion. If you think Faithless Looting is outstanding and you put it in all of your red decks, great. Godspeed. I'm not. Yeah, have at it. I'm not going to give you some more of them. Yeah, I'm not going to come to your house and like berate you about it. I'm just going to tell you that I disagree with you about it being yep. a generically great card and and that's fine. Liam uh actually is not a part of this disclaimer. The the <laughs> the views expressed by so the the views expressed by Brad and I purely subjective opinion. The views expressed by Liam in this episode are objective fact. So yep. if he says that your favorite card is garbage, then uh, sorry, that's just how it is. Uh, you're going to have to just have to be that way. Unpack it in therapy, I guess. Yep. Unpack it in therapy. <laughs> and if that therapy is playing PDH, then even better. Yeah. Even better. Win-win. Exactly. Uh, so, so yeah, that, uh, that's my disclaimer. In no, in no world, you know, if we name your pet card or whatever, in no world are we telling you never to play that card again. Like, that's just not, that's not what we're trying to do tonight. Because I'm still probably going to play most of the cards on this list, <laughs> on my list. That's just how it is. That's the facts. Brad, Brad's list came from Brad looking through his own decks. No, 100%. 100%. My, my list came from looking through other Dang. people's decks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we are not the same. Yep, 100%. That's just brutal. Oh, that's great. Uh, who wants to start us off? I can. I mean, I already. I'll, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll, I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay. Yeah. Great. So, hit to, us with some stone cold locks. Yeah. To 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 get the episode started off on the right foot, I just need to. I need to put my foot down right off the bat, and okay. immediately the first overrated card that too many people are playing is Spirited Companion. I. I'm going to burn down your it's, house. It's I'm going to come to your house. It's just a two-mana one-one on enchantment creature that draws a card when it enters the battlefield. This card is garbage. There are so many better versions of this card. No, Liam, I'm going to need. This. I'm going to need a schedule is... for when you and your wife are absent from your house. For <laughs> so no reason, I'm asking for a friend. Dave's recording this from his car as he drives towards your house because he knew this I'm, was going to happen. I'm around the corner. I got the gas. <laughs> it's ready to go. I just need to know when you and your because I don't I don't want to kill anyone. I just I, no, this is this yeah. is an arson, not a murder. Just let me know when right. you're out of the house and we can get this taken care of. We can, All I've got to say is we can are, settle this. There are <laughs> settle it. There are spirited companions in here. Are you willing to sacrifice them? Yeah, <laughs> I'll save those first and then you burn gotta the house. Find out. them. Uh, I'll just steal all your magic cards. This this can oh, be a. Uh... They're not with the the other magic cards. Uh, well then. They're overrated. There's, there's enough copies in the world. The, I, the, in the, for the sake of justice, these ones can go down. I can't. I can't taint the rest of my magic cards with their presence. Uh, anyway, oh. I want to tell you guys about faithless looting. <laughs> uh, yes. We we talked about this in the disclaimer. Faithless looting, one mana. Red card. Draw two cards, then discard two cards. Uh, and that has sounds amazing. Great flashback. Card. It says draw for two. Three... It's, it's, it has right. the words draw two on it, and it has flashback. You can draw four cards. I think what a lot of people fail Whoa. to realize is that when you draw four cards, you have to discard four cards, and you also have uh -huh. to use the spell. So you're down... If you if you play it, you are two for three-ing yourself. You, you, you spend three cards from your hand to get two cards in your hand. So it's card selection, but it's not card advantage, and I think that's a big mistake that a lot of people make. They see the words draw to, and they see the words flashback, and they think that this is card advantage, and they get really enthusiastic about red card advantage, and it's not. 
The only way this is card advantage is if you're playing a deck that is all in on madness and flashback. And, and the cards reanimator you, to a certain extent. Reanimator, yeah. If you if if the cards you're discarding are part of your plan to use them later, right. then it's card advantage. If you're just playing Gruel Stompy, and you're like, man, I need ways to not run out of gas. Faithless looting will run you out of gas faster. Yeah, that'll poke a hole in your tank. Yeah, it is not sugar in it. It is not the card advantage you think it is. Yeah, I mean, have you ever casted Faithless looting with one card in your hand? Like that just feels. <laughs> Feels horrendous. Real bad. Real bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're mo if you're Gruel Stompy and you want card advantage, the card you're looking for is called Electric Revelation. It is That's not Faithless one. Looting. Yep. Similarly, Faithless Salvaging is the you know Modern Horizons two kind of nod to it. It doesn't have flashback. It has rebound. This is yep. also card disadvantage. You should not yep. run it unless you're deep in the madness plan. Right. Or flashback or reanimator plan. Perfect. Brad, what do you got? Good one to... oh, this is one that has come up quite often for me lately, and if anybody watches my streams, they know that I'm completely frustrated with it, and I'm kind of over it, except for maybe in, like, like our disclaimer said, like, in one deck that I have, it's phenomenal, but in everything else, Crash of Rhino Beetles is absolute garbage. It is unbelievably splashy. We, the text box, Trample, it gets plus 10, plus 10... As long as you control 10 or more lands, which in a lot of PDH decks, 10 or more lands is not hard to come by. And it starts out as a 5-5, five, five, and it's 5 mana. So 15-15 Trampler for 5 mana. Bingo, bango, sign me up. Every green deck, let's go. I have, outside of, let's let's take Mr. Orpheo off the table, because this, this card is actually really good in that deck, you know, with the flings and the souls fires and all that sort of stuff. I'm making a 30-30 Trample, sure, let's go. Or a 30-15 Trample, let's go, fine. But literally, outside of Mr. Orpheo, where I've only casted it once, I believe. Outside of that deck, I've cast Crash of Rhino Beetles, I think, five or six times. And I've been unable, or I've been able to untap with it once. Because no matter what else what else the table's doing, as soon as you drop a 15-15 Trampler, you are the problem. That card is the problem, you are the problem, and one of the two of you must go. How did that attack feel, though? That one it time you good. untapped with it. The one that, it was great. It yeah. did get through. It didn't kill anybody because I think they by the time I had ten lands and could attack with it, there was probably like a six six on board or you know, eight eight or something like that. Um but it did get through. It good. did definitely connect. So good, good, good. It felt good. It felt like it was doing the thing. I... But the other five or six times it just uh well, I'll just snap it or I'll cast it down or what tap it down. What anything. It just it just never gets to attack again. And it's frustrating. Like in these big mana decks that can get to 10 lands, 5 mana for a creature isn't, like, the end of the world. Because if you're regularly hitting 10 or more lands, then 5 mana is not a big deal. But it just feels bad because it feels like one of those creatures where, well, hell, if I want to keep playing this card, I need to build my deck around it. And then your entire 99 warps around playing one creature. And it just it doesn't seem worth it at that point. What were you going to say? I put it into a handful of my decks when it got downshifted, but I've played such a small amount of PDH in the last couple of months that I haven't actually cast it yet. So I'm uh -huh. I, I hear what you're saying. I respect your experience. I am really curious to see how my experiences with it are going to shape my perception of it because sure, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't I haven't tested it yet, really. Yeah. 
But I hear what there you're is saying. Something, there is something about casting it. I mean, you put it into play, and it's a 15-15. Like, you can feel the table rumble when it hits. You know, it's a big dude. It's a big creature, and it feels good to cast it. But it just uh, comes in with a bullseye on it. R- rightfully so. Rightfully so. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, unless you're finding a way to abuse it, you know, an Orpheo or what have you, uh, just be careful with it. Cool. Uh, what do you got next, Liam? Uh, next up on my list is... A series of ramping cards, or not really ramping cards. So, (laughs) Growth Spiral and Explore are both cards that let you draw a card and play an additional land this turn under Mm -hmm. some conditions. Uh, I see a lot of people playing these as additional two-mana ramp spells, Mm -hmm. which they are not. These are not rampant growths. Because Rampant Growth will go search for the land and put it in play. Sure. Versus Explore and Growth Spiral, you're kind of hoping and praying you have the land. And these are cards that in a a dedicated lands deck or a landfall deck are fantastic. Absolutely. Outside of those strategies, unless you're playing 40 plus lands, I, I would not run these. Just because you're not guaranteed to get that value of playing the extra land. Yeah, I, I don't play Explore hardly at all anymore, but I know Growth Spiral for sure. Anytime I'm brewing up a green-blue deck, it automatically goes in there, like first draft. But I don't think it's in, in any of the decks I have currently. It always finds its way out. Yeah. So I'm going to give slight pushback here in that Sure. I, I think that in, in some cases... Explore is the exact same card as Rampant Growth. Like, if the card you draw is a land, then it has done the exact same thing. It has taken a land out of your deck and it's put it into play. Um, And I I respect that. I think that there are times... Like, some of my decks do run Explore. And it is because there are... Sometimes, I want to get into the late game. Like, drawing Rampant Growth turn 10 feels bad. I don't want an 11th land. <laughs> That's not something that I care about. Drawing a yeah. rampant growth that cycles feels pretty good. If I can play the card, like at some point I stop caring about the land drops and I just want to spend two mana and draw a card. And Explore gives me that. Sure. So there are there are, there are corner cases where I think that Explore is sometimes the better card. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that lots of times they are comparable. And I'm not going to fault anyone for playing it, but I, I will agree with you. If people are running it in their decks thinking it's another rampant growth, then they should be aware that sometimes it is not. Yep. And in a similar vein, uh, Evolving Wilds and Terramorphic Expanse, mm-hmm. outside of three-plus color decks or landfall strategies, I think we just have enough better options at this point. De- depending on where you stand on the panoramas... They could be considered better options, but definitely the Capenna Cyclos are just better options in general for this type of effect. Because they come in, do the thing, they get you a bit of extra life. And, you know, in our format, three and four color decks are pretty rare. Actually, I don't think four color is possible. It's three and five. Mm-hmm. Three and five color decks are pretty rare. And that's where these would shine to kind of smooth out your your draws, if you if you you know get two of your basics and then terramorphic in opener, you can use the terramorphic yeah. to get the third basic, to get the third color. 
but in a two color deck, you you shouldn't need these. You sh if you have these two cards in your two color decks, you should just take them out and put in one basic of each. You're just going to have a better time. These are just tapped basic lands in two color decks, unless you're doing landfall strategies, in which case they are two land drops, and that is relevant. Full disclosure: for the purposes of this episode, and in the interests of Sniff, not. Showing yeah, yeah, yeah. angrily up at my door. I want to clarify: having Scare Tiller in your deck is a landfall strategy. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, yes. Okay. These are these are Scare Tiller cards. If yeah. you're doing Scare Tiller things, yeah. and they're amazing, there. Right. Yes. Exactly. If you're doing Scare Tiller things, you should be playing these. Now, Sniff would have you believe that Scare Tiller belongs in every deck. I will give you it belongs in most decks, but unless you are explicitly playing Scare Tiller, I would not. Uh, unless you're explicitly playing landfall strategies or three plus color decks, Scaretillo being a landfall strategy, I, I would not be playing these cards. I see them way too often. In I, I, There was a time I even saw them in a mono red deck. And I was like, I was oh. like, like, my response was, bro, what are you doing? And he's just bro. like, it's like, <laughs> just cards I had. I'm like, no. <laughs> Fix that. Here, here's a mountain. Yeah. No. <laughs> it's like, I, tr yeah. try again. <laughs> I I legitimately put them into Cercara because I wanted deck thinning. That's, That's fair. Like be, before Scare no. Tiller. No. Yes. Yes. It's, no. Have you ever yeah. have you ever had a turn tur, uh, a like a turn seven Kara turn where you hit that like sizzle or the flame rift and you get to exile the top four cards of your library and they're all land? It feels terrible. <laughs> Do you know what we call that? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Do you know what we call that? Karmic Skill justice. Karmic, oh, justice. Karmic justice. Move on. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> the, no, no, the, I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. The universe has decided that you don't get to win this turn. I'm taking matters into my own hands. That's and not I'm how this works. Taking steps to make that marginally less likely. That's garbage. By, and yet here we are, <laughs> making <laughs> making bad decisions and regretting nothing. <laughs> yeah, I just I never would have thought we would have got to the point where. Evolving Wilds and Terramorphic Expanse were just sort of not necessary. Right. Like, this is wild. Like, Yeah, totally wild. Yep. But I, I just, I, I think that there were just better options. Yep. Talk about better options in a certain card type. Uh, listen next, Dave. I also have, like, sort of a, a category here that I want to discuss. First I part of it one. is uh, lockets and other mana rocks that I think at this point have been categorically outclassed. Yes. Um, I used to run lockets in. This, these are cards that came up when I was looking through my old deck lists on Tapped Out. I used to have lockets in everything, and now we have Bonders Ornament and Lantern of Revealing, and Commander Sphere and Orozco Relic, and like we just don't need the lockets anymore. They're just not yeah. good rocks. Similarly, in the early days of PDH, we were all desperate for dual lands. Every time we got a new tapped dual land, we we lost our minds with excitement. These days, we are completely saturated with dual lands. Yeah, flush, They're, total flush for them. And and some of them are just bad. Like you don't need to have them in your deck. Like thriving, there's no reason to play thriving lands anymore. I mean, I guess there's really not. Like I, I still have a couple decks that have them in there because I just haven't updated the deck in a while or whatever. And I play it or I look at the deck on Moxfield. I'm like that. It just looks bad. It feels bad. It looks bad. I think because like if you're, I should I should amend that. If you're in a two color deck, there's zero reason to play a thriving land. 
I do, I think I have one Thriving Land in one of my decks, and it's my Mardu deck, because that deck is like 80% red, mm-hmm. and so I, I'm running the Thriving Red Land, because it'll always produce red for me, and I can choose which other color I need. Mm-hmm. That right, lets me when you need it, yep. That lets so, me cut down on the number of plains and swamps at the same time, because so I can I, use this thing. If I can interject with my hot take, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. since their debut... I have personally thought that Thriving Lands have been pretty stone-cold unplayable anywhere but cube and decks that are three-plus color that have a huge focus on one. So like Mm -hmm. you just said, you have a deck that's 80% red. The red Thriving Land belongs and none of the others. Correct. And and for me, me, that that dominant color had to be 70% or more of the deck. Like mm-hmm. anything below that, and it's just you might as well find something else for that slot. But once you have a dominant color that is seventy percent of the deck is decidedly more than two thirds of the deck, it's worth it to run that color's thriving. But outside of cube and outside of that specific deck building scenario, I I have thought they've been pretty stone cold unplayable. Just yeah, the the just bad guild gates. Yeah, well, like I... Dave was saying, you know, and you said you know a while back in PDH you were. You know, just thirsty for dual lands, and it, sixty card popper days were the same way. When the thriving yeah. lands got spoiled, we lost our minds. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. we're for like sure. these are freaking amazing, and now nobody plays them. Well, I thought they, <laughs> but at the time, there were also a lot of three and four color decks that were being tested that just got there were yeah that just got gassed by those. Yeah. And I think one of them is still around. Is it? Is it the walls combo? Is like four colors. Uh, Walls Combo just took down the most recent challenge. I'd have to look and see I, how many colors it's running now. But it should be, sometimes it's up to five. Yeah. <laughs> Craziness. Yeah. yeah, but like th- there were a bunch of three and four color decks that were that were breaking the meta, or, or breaking into the meta, that got yeah. gassed up by the Thriving Lands. But most of them have since disappeared uh, mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons, because a lot of the three and four color decks were like variations of affinity nonsense. But Yeah, basically. But a lot of those variations have have disappeared out of the the competitive meta. Now you'll still find them floating around in, in your open metas and your local metas, but sure. The yeah, yeah. the the top charts, they they've disappeared. And yep. it's just people did their testing and then once they found the best one, they stuck with that. And yeah, I just I've never really been big on these partially because I don't I don't personally cube too much, so I I didn't need them. Yeah, and it didn't help that uh, about a year later, the Artifact Duel lands were right. printed at Common. Right, so. <laughs> yeah. The Artifact Duels yeah. came 11 months later, and then uh, 12 months after that, we got the Gate-type Thriving yeah. Lands, and now they're just completely irrelevant. Like, <laughs> Yep. Well, yeah, then we got the New Capenna Duels, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I didn't mean to derail you, Dave. What do you got? No, that's it. Just uh, that—that's sort of my category of of over overrated cards is the the rocks that we used to all run that have been outclassed, and mm-hmm. the lands that we used to run that have been outclassed. And it's not just the thriving lands. Like, th- there are some. I think some folks were spent so long being so thirsty for dual dual lands in Popper that now mm-hmm. that we have a lot, they go kind of overboard. And like sometimes you'll yep. see a list where it's like. Uh, there's 20 ETB tapped duels and then like 10 basics and you're like buddy yeah like it's I need like, you to whoa, slow down we need to <laughs> we need to flip these numbers around friend like that's not gonna work <laughs> like you're yeah. just gonna 
Like, if you're on a five-color deck and you need that much fixing, sure, do it. If you're in a two-color deck, like, you should... A solid two-thirds of your lands should come in untapped every time. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, oh. that's, the, that's the whole thing. Lockets, out, outclassed rocks, outclassed duels. Well, right on. I also want to talk about some mana that I have found to be uh, overrated and or a trap sort of at the same time. This started... I bought every copy of this card I could find for a while because I like to play big mana commanders. Not mana, not commanders that make big mana, but commanders that cost five, six, eight, whatever mana. And the commander tax really does add up after a while. Uh, so actually on my list is Overgrowth. It's a land enchantment that when you tap a land for mana, it adds an additional two green. Not two of any color, not whatever. Two green. So it's basically a double wild growth on a land. And, you know... I'll give it to you in in the early turns of like my herd Bailoth deck or Armorcraft Judge or anything like that. It's great. You can ramp out your commander. It'll help pay for the tax a little bit later. But in multicolor deck, like I played this one, I played this in Orfeo for a little while and in Spiritmonger for a little while. And having a man um, a land that produces three mana and none of it is the other color you need feels real bad all the time. Like, there's no times that that does not feel bad. And then also, drawing this card on turn 9 or 10 when you have one card in hand and you draw this, like, that feels horrific. Like, that almost feels like you just lost your entire turn. Because you drew a card that doesn't cycle. All it does is produce extra mana that you're probably not casting the one card in your hand with anyway. So I've just, I've learned to scale it back on this card. I know land auras are a big deal in PDH, mainly on the competitive side of things, but somewhat on the uh, high power or casual side of things. But this one is just not not where it's at. It's big and it's splashy. It's like the, uh, the mid-range version of land auras, and it sort of performs that way too. Like it just does, it does what it does, and it's not going to give you any... There's no forgiveness with this card whatsoever. It's, it's terrible being in a Jund deck and tapping a mountain that produces two extra green like it just doesn't it doesn't feel great so that's what i got on mine uh, i don't know if you guys have played this much i played it for a while in every green deck i had just because i was like oh my god this card is amazing but it was like we talked about earlier it was i put it in one deck and it was absolutely amazing there so i put it in four more decks and since then and i've taken it out of all of them so what do you think dave have you ever played with overgrowth I low-key think that all of the land auras are kind of overplayed. Mm -hmm. I think that as ramp pieces, they are cool, but they've, they've always seemed really fragile to me because of, like, I, I, I like playing with rocks that no one will ever mess with. Like, if you just play an Arcane Signet, no one's, no one's going to, like, spend a card to mark your Arcane Signet. <laughs> but, like, right. if you've got three land auras on a forest, someone's going to boomerang You're up to forest. no good. Yep. Uh -huh. and or, or, like, some, you know, capsize... Uh, what is that? Geomancer's Gambit. Cleansing Wildfire. That's the big one. Wildfire, Cleansing Wildfire, yep. I think, is an outstanding card that should be in everyone's decks Lower all the time. Decks, yep. Just because it's... I mean, at worst, it cantrips. At best, you target your own indestructible land, and you get cantripping ramp. And right. even best or best, you completely annihilate everyone, someone's entire ramp strategy and just send them back to the Stone Age. So, like, I, in my mind, ramp that is fragile like that 
is ramp that I just avoid unless I have a really good reason to be on it. And so, like, I've, I've got it in my Parcel Beast deck because it wants to do Freed from the real shenanigans. Oh, sure, sure, um, sure. But I don't run it outside of that. And um, Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. I think pretty much I've scaled back. For a while, I was running everything. I was running Abundant Growth, Decay and Trip, Utopia Sprawl, Wild Growth, Overgrowth. I was running all these in all these different decks, sometimes all four of them in a deck. Like, But since then, I've scaled back to if I'm in a three-color deck, I'll run Utopia Sprawl. If I'm in a two-color deck or something, uh, or another three-color deck, maybe I'll run Abundant Growth just to sort of cantrip, uh, especially if I have a way to flicker that enchantment or bounce it back to my hand or whatever. But yeah, pretty much, I'm for the most part, I'm off of all the land land auras. Uh, I think I got Wild Growth in a couple of mono green decks, but that's really about it. Yeah. And then I'll do one more just to get it out of the way so I can repair my broken heart. If you know me at all, you know Seeker of the Way. He is like my favorite magic card of all time. Two mana, two, two, human warrior with prowess. Gains lifelink when you cast a non-creature spell. Like, everything about this card is perfect. Every printing of it, uh, every artist proof I have of it, every signature of I have on him, they're just amazing. Uh, but it's not great in PDH. It's just really not. Like, it's... This is one of those cards that is stellar when you can have multiple of them in a 60-card deck. They're awesome. Because you're not just gaining three maybe four life in a combat step you know you're protecting yourself with 12 life 15 life 16 life you know because of you you have multiple of these on board and it's just not we have a lot of better things to do with two mana nowadays than a two two sometimes life linker and on that like it doesn't it doesn't even really stabilize you either you know three life and then it dies in combat like that's nothing. That didn't really do anything for you. There's not really like a Boros spell slinger deck yet sort of thing where this could shine. Like it's fine, but everywhere that I've put this card, this creature, I think I've pretty well taken it out except for maybe I may have taken it out of my Manthara deck as well, but it's just not, I don't play it that much anymore because it's, it's, it's almost trap level because it reads really good. The prowess is so tempting, so tantalizing, but it just doesn't play out that way because of the color and because of the white strategies we have in PDH that I've found. So I just wanted to go over that one real quick, and then I'll pass it back over to Liam. Yeah, so the next cards that I want to talk about is a category. So so I've I've gone through all of my individual cards. Do you guys want to keep talking about your individuals before I get to categories? Because I know you guys have categories. I feel like I've already mentioned categories. If you're good with me just doing categories at this point, I'm 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 good to do categories. Uh, I don't I don't think it's that structured. Okay. <laughs> do, yeah, uh, yeah. Do it. Do what you like. Cool. The next thing I'm going to talk about is I'm I'm going to call out. I am going to call out specific cards, but it is a category of misused toolbox pieces. So. These will, this is a good category. These will specifically be cards that are absolute houses in the strategy they belong in, and then god-tier garbage and everything else. <laughs> and the three cards that I want to call out are Tortured Existence, Impact Tremors, and Mystic Sanctuary. I feel like these three cards are the ones that I see the most in strategies where they don't belong. Where they don't really matter. Yeah. And it's because they are so powerful that I don't have to read a single one of these cards off to you. You know exactly what they do. They are cards that 
you know, they, they do the thing and they do it well. But there are some decks where it's like, you really don't need them because, yeah, one in five games they'll do the thing. But did you actually gain an advantage doing that? Is that actually what your deck wants to be doing? Or is there a card that better fits the slot? Yeah, I fought the Tortured Existence fight for a long time when I first started playing PDH. I know, you know I watched from... it. Every black deck God. got it. Ugh. Every black deck, Tortured Existence. Tortured Existence. Ah, Tordex here, Tordex there. Everybody gets Tordex. Come on, let's play. And then it's just... Dude, I have now to... I have it in like one deck. <laughs> I have to fight this fight with myself in Impact Tremors. Oh, I believe it. Sure, yeah, I can totally th- see that. There's a lot of red decks I put Impact Tremors in. I'll get to the final draft and people are like, why do you have Impact Tremors? I'm like, Mono Red Go Buh. And they're just like, they're just like, would you include Witty Rosemaster? I'm like, no, that's a garbage card in this list. And they're like, so cut impact tremors. <laughs> they're like, right, exactly. And it's 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 partially because I have such a, a, a tie to impact tremors, like you have a tie to, to Tordex. It's yeah. you know, it's it's seeing the card through those those rose colored glasses despite knowing that it's not good. Yeah. And yep. you know, it's even worse for me with impact tremors, because I have the direct comparison of the newer card in Witty Rosemaster. There isn't right. a comparison for Tordex. Like, you have to know it's bad. <laughs> Versus uh-huh. me, it's like, yeah, you know, I know Witty Roastmaster's bad in this list, but Impact Tremors is great. It's like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> if Witty Roastmaster is bad, so is Impact Tremors. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. If you're willing to cut the Roastmaster, you are willing to cut the Tremors. And, yeah. Yeah, that's what it took me the longest to figure out, is that Tortured Existence is not just a not generic just, yes. value piece. Yeah. yeah. It's got to be specific. I think... I I would go further into Mystic Sanctuary specifically, but I think I'm going to save that for a guest that we'll have in three weeks. Ooh, ooh. spoiler that's, alert! That's one of their talking points. I'll let them talk yep. more about that. Nice. But yeah, in in general, I just you know these these are the three callouts I wanted to do, but there there are plenty of these cards that that are toolbox pieces that are that are fantastic in what they do. They do the thing and they do it well, but. That's that. That's what they are. They're toolbox pieces, and you know, people are using a wrench when they need a hammer, and yep, yeah. That that nail's not going to go in with the wrench. <laughs> I've Sorry. I've had this conversation with a lot of people where they'll they'll, they'll post a, a deck list on and they'll ask for feedback and I'll be like, hey, you should cut uh, Tordex. I don't think it's doing a lot for you here. And they uh-huh. go, oh, what if my really important creature dies? I want a way to get it back. And I'm like. Omen of the Dead is the card you want. Blood Fountain is the card uh-huh. that you want. That, that's uh, exactly right. Unsealed where... Necropolis is the card you want. Like if you are doing Tordex things, then you want Tordex. But if you if you want to get a card back, Tordex is card disadvantage. Yes. Yeah. All my tor- tortured existences, except for one or two, became Blood Fountains. Yep. yep. Yeah. Blood Fountain. For 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 a while, like I was having this conversation before Blood Fountain existed, and I was encouraging people to do Omen of the Dead because that was that was my favorite for a while because I sure. I liked That's the flash, I liked that it you know you could do something with it after, I uh, at, for a while for a minute I was really into like Delirium and I liked that it was an enchantment, but yeah no uh, there's like if you want something back there's way better options. You got to um, be doing the tortured existence if you thing, want... and that means your whole deck cares about that thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Conrad should be on Tordex. Gorks sure. should be on Tordex. Like not, not Tormod, a lot of others. Yes, Tormod should be on Tordex. Oh, yep. Tormod. Geez. Yeah. <laughs> not not a lot of other decks should. Yep. So uh, yeah, the the next card on my list is um, 
Let me check my notes here. Oh, it's Tordex. Uh, oh, we'll, it sure was. We'll skip that one. Bold uh, the, and italicized and underlined. <laughs> the, I, did, I didn't put those italics on there. Uh, uh, oh, the next card on my list is uh, Struck Through. That's interesting. I didn't do that either. Um, <laughs> so, if we're introducing categories, I will also talk about a category here. And this is a category of cards that are... So, I... Uh, I need to I need to go back and justify this. Yeah. Uh, I said that the cards that we're going to talk about tonight are overrated, overplayed. I think that they are like people sort of overestimate how good they are. I'm going to mention three cards that are categorically, objectively outstanding. These are, in fact, generically good cards, and if we're going strictly by power level, they should be in a lot of decks. Okay. I if like we're going by the amount of fun you want to have playing Magic. I think you should cut these three cards from everything. Whoa, 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 Fair. whoa, whoa. And they whoa. are... <laughs> whoa, whoa. They are, first, Gary. I've, I have won so many games with Gary, and I've never felt good about it. And I've mm -hmm. lost to Gary over and over again, and it's always really irritating. Oh, like Gary, Gary has never enhanced the amount of fun I'm having in a game. It has always made that... that that metric smaller. Like yep. he always makes games worse. Uh, next, honored... you know what's common? Mm. It's not just Gary. It's the Gary and the feign death and the oh you know, yeah sacrifice effect and the Gary and ephemerate. And the yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it's never just Gary. There's a game, a very specific game in my memory that I've I've actually been like people have been asking questions lately and I've, I've been telling half of the story on on the Discord a, a little bit. There was a, a Pals game where Blake and I and uh, Sniff and uh, another one of the Pals were all playing at the Pals studio. And Blake was using my Vijugazi Guildmage deck. And he hit uh, Slime Molding with an X of like 16. Mm -hmm. So he had a 16-16 Slime token. And then he mutated a Vulpakeet onto it so that his all token right. had flying. And he started uh -huh. populating flying 16-16 creatures. What? Just making a bunch of them. With this Vichugazi Guildmage. Sure. Uh, and it was amazing. And that he, sounds amazing. <laughs> and he attacked me. I was on I was on my Furia deck. He attacked me with like three of these things. Which is like amazing. It's so cool. And I had Gary in play. And I was like, I cast Ephemerate on Gary. And then I thought about it for a second. Because Ephemerate resolving on Gary would have killed him. And he had no yeah. response. And then I thought about it for a second, and I was like, actually, no, I just concede. Like, that's that's the stupid ending for this. Like, that's the bad <laughs> ending. But the good ending is me getting beaten to death by 48 power worth of flying yeah. slimes. Like, that's, uh -huh. that's how air. I want yeah, this amazing. game to end. And so, like, I just... I took I took Gary out of the Furia deck after that. I was like, I, I would rather die than, than, than try to win a game by ephemerating Gary another time. Yeah. That's dumb. So... Points. Game set match. V2 Guzzi Guildmage. Um, <laughs> the the second card on this list of cards that are objectively really good cards that you shouldn't play. Honored Heirloom. Okay. Uh, just let people have fun with their graveyards. Just it. it uh, you're gonna you're gonna lose to Arumi a couple times, and that's fine. Arumi yeah. deserves to to win sometimes too. You, you know, and unless you're you know playing for keeps, unless you're playing competitively, it it doesn't hurt you to not activate the Honored Heirloom. Yeah. If you're really worried about an Arumi, run Coffin Purge or um, Rotten Reunion so that you can, like, as a surprise, you can stop it once or twice. 
but like having a permanent in play that just stops it forever is yeah. like terrible. Yeah. It just feels bad for everyone. The third card on this list, I, I would like I would like Liam to tell you about the third card on this list of mine. Liam, what's the third card that's terrible? There isn't one. <laughs> what he meant to say was it's Oubliette. Be... No, there's nothing on this list. Oubliette is is what <laughs> Liam is trying to communicate to you. There's, there's nothing and on this list. That it's, yeah, it's it's struck through in the show notes. Oh yeah, I I have I have a uh uh what suspect. That's the word. I have a suspect ah. in, in the mystery okay. of who, who struck through the oubliette. Oh. <laughs> I lost the word suspect for a second. Dave, I just lose words now. Dave I'm has an now. irrational fear of a card, and it needs to be corrected. <laughs> um, I have a fear of a card. Nothing about that fear is irrational. It's very irrational. How many? Do you know how many games I've just been completely locked out of because of an oubliette? Uh, games Too against damn. me or games against other people? Games against other people. Oh, uh, probably more than zero. Oh, it's a lot more than zero. Well, that's because got... those people aren't cool. See, what they don't realize is that Oubliette has secret text. And that secret text is, if you're playing competitive, all's fair game. But if you're playing casual, Oubliette can only target non-commander creatures. That version of Oubliette is awesome. I love uh, that version. Awesome. amazing. Yeah, like I have played version, this card's amazing. fantastic. <laughs> I've played a lot of casual games, and like it hasn't happened in years and years, largely because it got to the point where when it happened, I would just concede and walk away from the game, and then not play with those people ever again. But there was a point <laughs> where I was just losing, like right after the downshift, everyone had it in all their decks, yeah, and I just got oubliated so many times. O- oubliated was it never just... downshifted. Do you mean the reprint? The reprint, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because oh, it got upshifted, up-shifted right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, got it got reprinted, yeah. and suddenly everyone had access to it. And, like, it just showed up everywhere. And, like, those those months in the PDH community were straight miserable. Oh, yeah. So, if you love fun, play with the edited version of Oubliette that Liam just told you about. I love that version. Yeah, that version of Oubliette is awesome. Mm-hmm. Oubliette's a great card. Just completely hoses Voltron. You know, and for transparency, too, like, I don't know if it's just uh, maybe our guest in three weeks can elaborate on this as well. But I'm not sure what shifted in the competitive meta, but just like the few games I've played in uh, CPDH, the few that I've watched on stream or what have you. And then the ones that we've commentated, we don't even really see Oubliette that much anymore. Well, in fairness, it is three mana, sorcery speed, double pip. Right, like no, that does not help. No one's running murder, <laughs> so <laughs> I we saw it once. Uh, it was around that Derek and I were commentating. There were two oubliettes on the field, yeah. and someone echoing truth them. It was awesome. So that was cool. I I I hundred percent expect that if there was a if there was a hyper aggressive or Voltron ish commander at the top of the meta, oubliette would see more play. Probably, and or it doesn't if, help that bl- Black has been kind of MIA in the competitive yeah, scene Yeah, Black's been a little MIA, but it's... Or if there was a, a commander that was a combo piece that was irreplaceable. Versus, like, sure. you know, even in, like, the Gretchen decks. Like, is Gretchen the preferred outlet? Yes. But are there others? Yes. Probably. So, yep. you know, it's... Like, once Gretchen's activated, the ability's on the stack. 
and Oubliette yeah. is sorcery speed. So it's like <laughs> it's at, at, certainly is. at the very worst, the Gretchen player is putting six or seven activations on top of your Oubliette. And I, right. you know, the problem at that point, if they haven't already won, they're doing something wrong. But like, <laughs> it's just there's the, the, the commandos that it would need to take out just don't exist in the meta right now. Correct. So Oubliette doesn't need point. to exist. Yeah. Other than that, it's three mana sorcery speed removal. That's it. Double pip. It's it's a little rough. Right. That's true. Uh, looks like I have a category of, of cards as well on my list, but there's comments and strike throughs and all kinds of stuff going on here. So I don't know what's happening with my uh, with my list here, but I'm going to go ahead and read them anyway. This is it's the diamonds. I'm just going to come out. There's no clever way to like segue into them. It's the diamonds. There's one for each color. They ETB tap. They cost two mana and they produce that color of mana. I don't like these. I don't like these. I try to like them. I've played, I, I play them so often. I try to like them. I just don't like them. I don't, there's always a better mana rock that I can use. I'll add one more land and take these out. Like I just, the, the, the ETB tapped just kills any excitement I have for these cards. Like sure. Affinity decks. Sure. Play them. Cranial plating decks. Sure. Fine. Play them. But other than that, I just don't have any enjoyment with these cards whatsoever. Like, I always need the mana when I can't have the mana, and that feels bad to me. But I don't know how else to elaborate on that. What do you think about the diamonds, Dave? I think that there's a lot of better rocks, but I I really enjoy the nostalgia of the diamonds. Like, I have a bunch I, of old I copies do. from Mirage. I do so too, I do too. Yep. And that I'm, could be part of it. Yeah, if I'm if I'm building a deck that... I don't need it to be good. I just want it to be like cute and aesthetic. I'll put the diamonds in, but that uh, I usually I have a pretty strong preference for Mind Stone and Arcane Signet and Felvarstein and uh, you know I I don't really run Thought Vessel, but like the you know the two mana rocks, mostly right. just Mind Mind Stone and um, Arcane Signet is pretty much my jam for the two mana ramp. Yeah, same here, and that's what I've come to find out. Like I want. If it's going to be, and we don't have a ton of two mana mana rocks, but we do, the ones we have, I want them to produce mana the turn I play them. Like, it's mm-hmm. bad enough. Like, we have the signets, and those don't always feel great. Like, the diamonds are even worse somehow. I don't know. But that is my, uh, that's my little category. Everything else I have on my list is singletons. What do you got, what do you got up next, Liam? You got another category for us? Yep, sure do. So, my next category is mana dorks. I... This is going to be super controversial with the competitive oh, crowd. Is is yes, Anadorks? Yes, very good. They're super squishy, and <laughs> they are very squishy. It hasn't really been a big problem in the past because board wipes don't exist at the capacity that they do in EDH. However, mm-hmm. with the Commander Masters downshifts giving us four, was it four or five? new board wipes mm-hmm. it was it was a lot like it 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 doubled the number of playable board wipes in the format granted some of some better than others but it it was a lot of board wipes and i oh, feel I forgot like we got drowned in sorrow yeah i feel like we are approaching the point where running four to six dorks in your deck 
when there isn't a very explicit strategy reason to do so is going to become a bit of a trap. I think mm-hmm. that people need to diversify their ramp sources. And I'm going to say that about EDH players too. EDH players love the mana rocks. Dorks and enchantments oh, come yeah, out. They do. Dorks and enchantments come out when the strategy calls for it. Otherwise, they run exclusively rocks. PDH players, I notice, tend to run a, a, a healthy mix of dorks and rocks. And they're better at mana auras than EDH players are. But it's still like the average list is not a healthy mix. I think lists mm-hmm. need to start approaching a healthy mix as answers in as as answers and removal in general become more diverse. The targets also need to become more diverse to answer that. And I just I feel like run the the days of running four to six dorks are over, unless you have a very specific strategy reason to be doing so. Otherwise, running a mix of Dorks and auras and rocks and ramp spells is where you want to be at. Like it's all ramp; it just does it in a slightly different way. And I, th- I think people need to start diversifying. Sure, yeah, that's fair. It, it does not feel good to have your uh, six mana dorks fire breathed or whatever yeah. <laughs> fire yes. cannonaded. Speaking from uh. experience, when I went, for, there was a PDH game. I went from like eight or nine mana to four mana and i was like oh no like yeah sometimes you know maybe it's just the few times because i i do play mono green decks i play decks that have green in them i play mana mana dorks and maybe it's just you know variants or what have you but it always is like okay cool i've got my you know three or four elves on board i can make all this mana and oh crap now all of a sudden i'm being attacked with or attacked by you know eight different creatures mm-hmm. well i got a block and there goes my mana yep so all the time. I notice Dave doesn't play a lot of mana dorks. Yeah, Ma- mana dorks is another thing that's just are also on my list. Uh, mm-hmm. I I feel about mana dorks very similar to how I feel about uh, land auras as ramp. Like okay. I feel like they're they're powerful sources of ramp for decks that want to lean into that. But I think that generically, as mana sources, they're they're too squishy for me to want to rely on them. Sure. I see a lot of mm-hmm. decks. They're like, uh, this deck is green, so automatically I'm on Elvish Mystic and Fintorn Elf and Llanowar Elf. And like, I respect that if that's your thing, but like, you have to recognize that one out of every eight times you're gonna get blown out by a board wipe, and you're gonna have a really bad time. If the, yeah, it's gonna if, be a bad time. If the acceleration you get the other seven times is worth it, good. Uh, that make that's an informed decision that you are allowed to make. That is, uh, yeah. that is one that I choose not to make. Yeah, and it's, you know, a lot of it goes into how you build your deck, obviously. My problem yeah. is I tend to I tend to use the mana dorks to help me pay for my commander, so when they die, I'm just sort of commanderless yeah. <laughs> until I can naturally hit the land drops or what have you, so... Yeah, uh, I, I think there, there are definitely decks that want to be on the mana dork strategy, if, like, things like, um, things like Zada wants all of the Iron Mirrors and uh, Mana Hedron Scramblers and Millikins, whatever, Mannequin, I don't, I don't remember what they're called. Zada wants all of the Mana Dorks because those turn into attackers. Sure. Um, you know, your new Mata deck wants all the Elves because it's obviously an Elf thing. But, like, right. if you're just on a standard issue Gruel Stompy deck, I don't think you need Llanowar Elves in it. Mm-mm. No, I agree. Uh, cool. Do you want to take another one, Dave? Or you want to move up to me yeah. here? 
speaking of uh, overrated mana acceleration, <laughs> I want to talk to you about what a terrible card Lotus Petal is. <gasps> but it's $20. Yeah, it's $20 because of formats where you can <laughs> refill your hand easily. Lotus Petal is a great card in EDH where every every single pod has someone with a deck that has seven different Wheel of Fortunes in it. <laughs> and you will have a brand new hand of seven every three Wheel turns. Wheel dot deck, yep. When you will have a brand new hand of seven cards every three turns, then it's fine to spend an entire card for nothing but a treasure. Like right. PDH isn't that format. Like you have to, you have to have a really, really good reason to be on Lotus Petal. Yeah, I see a lot of people just running it as sort of like a generic ramp, and I think that nine times out of ten, that tiny boost of mana you get with it is not worth losing a card from your hand that is going to be very difficult to replace. I feel the same way about Dark Ritual, Simeon Spirit Guide, High Tide as a combo piece. Great, do it. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh High Tide as a Dark Ritual? Meh. Please find a better way to ramp your mana. Uh, yeah. Please please examine the card Everflowing Chalice. Yes. That's the two mana yes. rock I couldn't think of. Everflowing Chalice. Great. That's a yeah. good one. That's yep. a good one. Uh, much better than Diamonds, I think. Oh, um, yeah. For sure. But yeah, I think that all of these sort of burst mana things, like if, you, if you're, if you're you know, zero lil and you're doing the Dargo, Kedis, Turbo combo maneuver and you want to combo on turn one, great. Run Go Lotus Petal, run Dark Ritual, live your best life. If you want, if you're on Bant Birds, Lotus Petal is not for you. <laughs> no, it totally is not. Now it's not on my list, but I, I wonder if this falls into the same category that you're talking about now. But like a like a Burning Tree emissary. Uh, that's a body at least. That's true. It Again, I, a little little body behind. I'd ha- I I would need a really good reason to play the emissary. I think mm-hmm. that generically it's a pretty bad card. I wouldn't I wouldn't run it in any of the Gruel decks that I currently have built. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's in any of my decks. I just happened to pop into my head because I used to run a, a pauper deck that could drop a bunch of creatures on turn one with Spirit Guide and Emissary mm, without, yeah, yeah. you know, no lands, just all this free mana. So Oh, I I'll, uh, I'll segue off that a tiny little bit. Mm-hmm. I think Monastery Swift Spear is also pretty bad. I think that okay. this is a card, and, and we'll, we'll, I mean, because of Burning Tree Emissary. Burning Tree Emissary is, I think, a powerhouse in 60-card popper because you can have four of them. You, you can chain consistently yep. just develop a really massive board presence immediately that yep. can threaten a single player's 20-point life total a lot. <laughs> uh, in that context, Monastery Swift Spear and Burning Tree Emissary are outstanding. A PDH is not that context. Uh, you only get one of them. It's probably not in your opening hand. You're probably going to draw it on turn six. And then be like, why Why do I have a one mana one two on turn six when I really need an answer or a threat? Right. And even if you do draw it on turn one, it's going to attack one of your 30 life total opponents twice. <laughs> you know, it's going to do maybe five or six damage, which is not a bad rate for a one drop card. But I mean, the Sword Coast Serpent that they're going to play later is going to deal <laughs> 24 damage. Uh-huh. And the sure five is. damage you dealt isn't going to feel very relevant then. Uh, yep. I play a, I play a lot of red in that card. Swiss Spear is only in one deck, and that's the one that you and Liam and Brownie built for me. Yeah, it's Prowess Tribal. Right, it's exactly. Got, it's got to be in that one. I don't think Except. it belongs in a lot of other decks. Right. So yeah, I would I would put Burning Burning what is it Burning Tree. 
Burning Tree Emissary, yep. I put Burning Tree Emissary in the same category as Monastery Swift Spear, which is cards that are powerhouse aggro threats in 60-card popper that are just really unimpactful in PDH. Sure. Which kind of goes back to the whole Faithless Looting thing. Like, There's a lot of cards that like have a reputation in, in one format, and that reputation just doesn't translate into our format. Oh, God, it does not translate at all. Like, I know this is a complete tangent, but when I first got into 60-card popper... I was trying to like brew new decks and see what was possible, this and that. I would look at other formats and see what their metagame or just what, what cool decks I could find in modern or in uh, standard or whatever. And I would see what the equivalent was in Pauper and I would try to build something like that. And it was always terrible. Always, always terrible. Because even if they shared some of the same cards, the strategies, the play styles did not transfer well. And I think that's sort of the same thing here. Like if you love mono red burn or what have you in 60 card popper with swift spear well i guess not anymore but if you used to that's we have mono red burn decks we have a pile of them yeah they just don't really run swift spear yeah it's like uh it just doesn't translate well like modern players transferring to commander and finding out that like the evil monkey doesn't do a whole lot (laughs) like (laughs) right it's like exactly it's like cool turn one you made a treasure and got a card cool turn two you made a treasure got a card turn three do nothing and it's like you got bashed. Yep. Yeah. It's like you developed your board absolutely zilch, but you drew two cards. Congratulations. Like it the monkey sees no play outside of like pirate typo. Right, exactly. And that's you know, the rest of my list we don't have to go over in depth, but that's a lot of where my cards come from is my quote unquote competitive sixty card popper days where these cards were absolute bangers. Mm-hmm. I slotted them over to PDH to try to make them work, and while they do do their thing, they're not great. Like, uh, unexpected fangs. Two mana, put a lifelink counter on something, it gets plus one, plus one, or what have you. Great card. Throw it on your Gurmag Angler, your Tolarian Terror, whatever you want, go to town. It just doesn't end up playing out that way in PDH. And if it does, it's not going to be that impactful. Because like Dave said, you know, you throw it on your Gurmag Angler, cool, you got a 6-6 six, six with lifelink, but it's staring down 60 damage, or 60 life from the other three players or it's staring down three potential cast downs or a bunch of removal spells. Like it's just not as impactful in, in PDH. Same with serpentine curve. That is like one of my favorite cards printed in the last few years. You know, it makes this gigantic token. It's asking you to cast all these spells, fill your graveyard, make this gigantic 2020 or whatever with no evasion. It's fantastic, but it just eats every removal spell we have in the format. Like, cool for a turn it's almost the crash of rhino beetles like look what i did i made a giant creature that can't trample or anything oh now it's dead because you worried i was going to do something with it well why did i put that card in my deck at all like you pretty much just put it from your hand into the graveyard there was just a middleman of making a token (laughs) so yeah it's it's cards like rhino beetles when they get downshifted it's like yeah they're big and flashy and fancy but like in in actual gameplay, the the pretty aggressively okay. Like you might get yeah. a you might get a group yeah. with it once, but once they know it's coming, they'll hold up for it. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. I uh, the last time I played it, one of my opponents, uh, I forgot how he got it back to his hand, but he got a snap back into his hand. I'm like, well, I know where that's going. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. There's 15 creatures on the board, but I know exactly where that spell's going. <laughs> I, I think I had eight creatures on my board because I was playing Risen Roof, so I just had a full board of creatures, but yeah. that was the one. That was the one. Yep. 
Uh, I think there's probably one more on my list that I want to talk about. The other, I put like Momentary Blink on here just because I think that card's overpriced. I don't think that's really like a trap or anything. Nobody plays that too much except for me, and I get burned by it every time. I, I always think the flashback is cooler than it is, but it ends up being like five mana to Ghostly Flicker or whatever to Flicker something twice. So uh, I think that's more of a me problem. Uh, the one that I did want to talk about that took me a long time to figure out I don't actually enjoy playing it and that it might be not as good as it seems is Feed the Swarm. I don't know how often you, you guys play Feed the Swarm, but I know we don't have this effect in black. Well, I guess we have a couple of them now. But for a long time, all we had was Feed the Swarm. So this was our option. And a lot of people really took it and ran with it. And that's fine. It's If you're in mono black, you have to play it. You don't really have any other choices. But if you're in two color, there's almost going to be a better option. If you're in Golgari, green has a million ways to get rid of uh, enchantments, artifacts, sometimes creatures. White has a million ways to get rid of all three artifacts, creatures, or enchantments. I mean, Feed the Swarm doesn't hit artifacts, but there's just better ways to go about it. Feed the Swarm, it never feels good to cast it. It's sorcery speed, for one. So it's very, sometimes it's very telegraphed. It's easy to interact with. You're not really going to get anybody with it on the end of turn or combat phase or anything like that. And sometimes the problematic creature is a rust goliath. Is a rusted goliath. Is a ulamog's crusher. Like I've not been able to kill the biggest creature at the table because it would have killed me. The feed the swarm would have killed me. Like what am I going to do with this? So it just doesn't feel great. And it's the, that's all that's all it's a good card for what it does it's an effect in black that we need but it just there's better options and i like i rarely play model black so i'm always playing a secondary color that has direct damage or uh white for its removal green for its removal that sort of thing so and the decks i like to play typically destroy opposing creatures through combat as opposed to spells so I'm not really interested in the destroy the creature effect or half of Feed the Swarm. So I'll use my second color for enchantment removal. Counterpoint. Oh, yes. You know it's you know it feels really good. Hmm. Tell me. Feed the Swarm targeting someone's <clears throat> uh really equipped ornithopter. <laughs> I feel targeted. <laughs> I had not uh, thought of that. Weird, weirdly, th this is a thing that I have done, not to Liam. Yeah. But it is a thing. I'm just putting that out there. It's a, it a thing possibility. That uh, that's true. That is true. Yeah. If you're in the Ornithopter meta, meta, load up on Feed the Swarm. Meta. Meta. <laughs> but no, I don't know. I just, it was one of those that, like, oh, I'm building black. Gotta have Feed the Swarm. And slowly over time, they've just all sort of made their way out of the deck. So that's where I'm at on it. And I think that's all I really had to want it to go over. I like the fact that you guys had some good categories. Uh, what do you got next, Liam? Yeah, next up is Tudos. So, uh oh, yeah. Spicy. Yeah. So, Tudos are going to include things like transmute cards. If you want to get very specific, things like Merchant Scroll, Heliod's Pilgrim, Fierce Empath, Trinket Mage, etc., etc. Tutors in our format tend to be very specific. You, when when you zoom out to EDH, you get a lot of the generic uh, tutors like Vampiric or Enlightened or whatnot. But mm -hmm. in PDH, the tutors are very specific. They are getting, you know, a blue instant. 
They are getting an enchantment. <laughs> they are getting right. a creature with mana value five or greater, or or power five or greater. They're getting an, an artifact with mana value one or less. Like they're very specific. If you're playing mm-hmm. competitive, go for it. Do what you got to do. If you're playing casual, these are very overrated. We are playing a 100-card singleton format. There is absolutely zero expectation of consistency. Mm-hmm. Don't play tutors. You don't need them. Play a card draw spell instead. Thank you. Yeah, just play <laughs> like, a good card draw spell. Just play a good card draw spell. That way you get variety in your games. Yep. Tutors are overrated. Again, if you're playing competitive, where your strategy clearly dictates you need a certain subset of cards... Do what you gotta do. Right. But if you're playing casual, these things are hella overrated. Drop them. You don't need them. I agree. I agree. I do have sort of a related question here. We've never actually, I don't think we've ever brought this card up on the show before and talked about it, but it was one that I've been pondering for a couple different decks for like a, for like two or three weeks now. And that's Mystical Teachings. Do you Ooh. guys have any experience in PDH with Mystical Teachings? PDH? I have tons of 60-card popper experience with it, but I've never played it in PDH. PDH? No. It's... But if I had a if I had a Demio deck, I'd I'd probably like test it out. I don't know that it would stick That's... around very long, but I'd probably test it That's out. That's kind of where it's, I'm at with it. It's a fun card. Mm-hmm. What do you got, Dave? It's expensive. It is. I, very I like that it's a tutor. <laughs> I like I, I I find myself falling into the flashback trap where I I put it into decks that want like it was in Marsh Crocodile for a long time because mm. I was like Marsh Crocodile has to discard things and I want to discard things that I can reuse and it also Marsh Crocodile really wants to find Displace and Ghostly Flicker so it's something I can use to get those cards but then like oh that's fair when, yeah, yeah when those situations happened I'd be like okay like it was in my hand I discarded it like that was good now I can find it to go get Ghostly Flicker it it costs six. Oh, six. Oh yeah. man, and it's like <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it always surprises me how expensive it is. Yeah, like it's. Still, is. I think there are definitely decks that want it, but I think that I think that this is a a really excellent example of this type of card where it's good in very specific circumstances, but it's not just generically like it's not the card that you want to put in every Demir deck. Right, even though the text box has very generic but good verbiage on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just one that I've been thinking about. But yeah, you're right. It's it's so expensive. So it's really expensive. Like if if there's a if there's a card that you desperately need, if you're willing to pay four and six mana for it, like Godspeed, do your thing. Yeah, even but even just the front half being four mana, you still have to have mana left over right. to cast your instant that you're tutoring up. <laughs> right, right. It's... And maybe extra mana t- for the interaction because they're going to try to counter the instant you just t- tutored up. So exactly. If there's a if there's a specific like combo piece you need in order for your deck to function, this is a great way to get it. Sure. If you're putting it into your deck to be like, ah, this is gonna make my deck more toolboxy, I can get the thing I need. Like Counterspell is a really bad card when it costs six mana. <laughs> like <laughs> this is not the toolbox you think it is. Yeah. That's a good point. Alright, back on track. Uh, do you want to go through another category, Liam, or you got anything else, Dave? I got a couple other cards on this list. Go for it. I want to talk about uh, a card that I, when it got printed, I I got really excited, and like I feel like the community got really excited with. Me. We all they put it into did. all of our red decks, and then after playing with with it for a couple of years, I was like, this card really isn't very good. Took it out of all <laughs> my red decks. That uh-huh. card is Fire Prophecy. 
This is a two-mana removal spell in red. It'll deal three damage to a creature, which is sort of on rate for, like, incinerate. It's not a bolt. It's not a bolt. But it has another ability. It lets mm -hmm. you put a card from your hand onto the bottom of your deck. If you do so, you can draw a card. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people got really excited about the uh, the idea of a burn spell that draws a card. They were like, ah, it kills the thing and 100%. it's card advantage. Yep. It's not card advantage. It's just card selection. And like, it's the bad kind of card selection. The bottom of your library is not where you want the cards to go. You can't madness from that. You can't flashback from there. <laughs> It's just like every time I played it, it felt bad. I was not yeah. excited to be doing that thing. Yeah, that, or like that's a perfect way. That's how I tried to explain the diamonds. Like I just don't want to be doing the thing that they're doing. Yeah, anymore. or like I, I would be. <laughs> there was a couple times where I was like, "Oh, I've got extra lands in my hand. I can like pitch one of these to draw." Oh, another land. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Even yep. when I thought it was gonna work out for me, it didn't work out. For me. Yeah. What else? There's a couple more cards on my list. Should I? Should I just finish off the list or go for it? Passing it yeah. back to Liam. Yeah, go for it. Okay. If you're feeling up to it. I uh, I think Treasure Cruise is overrated. Okay. I don't think it's overrated by much. Like I think it's I think it's a really good card. I don't think it's I don't think it belongs in every blue deck. Uh it is not like universally good. Mm -hmm. It is a lot, a lot of people treat it like it's a, you know, our ancestral recall, the one mana draw three, but it's only ancestral recall under very specific circumstances. <laughs> right. You need to have seven cards in your graveyard that you are willing to part with. And that happens, in my experience, less often than you want it to. Mm -hmm. Especially in a format where, like, Relic of Progenitus is kind of everywhere. So, like, yeah. uh, it's hard to... I mean, it's there, there, are, there are plenty of circumstances where it's unreasonably powerful. And it should be in a lot of decks. There's lots of times where it's just going to disappoint you and it shouldn't be in all decks. Yeah. And those... I don't think we could describe those decks in a podcast. Like it's just going to have to be like yeah. a, a, per, a personal experience. You got to like play with it and find deck, out. I, yeah, you got to play with it and find out. I discovered pretty recently that Bird Horse is not the kind of deck that wants Treasure Cruise. I, neither was, is uh, neither is Risen Reef. I tried that. I don't like yeah. it every time. Yeah, you got to have a lot of like Third Path Iconoclast wants to be on Treasure Cruise because Third Path Iconoclast has just an enormous amount of what I think Ryan would call card velocity. Yep. That's going to be doing all of the opts and considers and deliberate and like, and just constantly like moving cards from the deck to the hand of the graveyard, like in yep. this like cycle that just goes, it's going to fill up its graveyard really quick. Like right. sailor's Bane wants to be on treasure cruise in, in this it's oh, easily yeah. a one mana draw three in bird horse. It's not. In Bird Horse, you are sandbagging your hand pretty much all the time. You don't have all of the opts, considers, ponders, preordains, serum visions. You're not on all of those. You're on mm -hmm. a few of them. You're mostly on counterspells. Waiting until after you have cast your seventh counterspell to start refilling your hand doesn't feel mm -hmm. great. Right. And like if someone's on a relic, then you just never get to cast Treasure Cruise, and that feels real bad. Yeah. So yeah, I think Treasure Cruise is very slightly overrated. Uh... This is just a really quick little side note. Yeah, go I for mentioned it. Um, I mentioned that I I sort of prepped for this episode by looking at a lot of people's decks on Moxfield. Mm -hmm. Please, for the love of God, run more than thirty lands. <laughs> <laughs> so many, so many people. I opened their deck, and it's like this is my Mister Orfeo deck with twenty five lands. I was like, oh, oh no, 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 no. 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 I, like, oh. I saw I saw a Tor Wauki deck with thirty one. I was like, Ooh. 
Golly. Buddy, buddy, your commander costs five, and it's going to die three times. Like, you need 11 lands to cast that yeah, guy. Yeah, that, that's, like, the, uh, that's you're the problem not... I'm running, running into with the Mouth of Sauron. Like, it's great. Yeah. I have 36 lands in there, but you're right. He's a five-mana commander that's going to die three times. Mm-hmm. And 36 lands isn't enough sometimes. You need to hit land drop number 11? Like, yep. <laughs> 31 lands is not going to get you there. Uh-uh. It sure won't. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, just, just try to... Like 30, 35 and 36, that's the sweet spot. If, you're, yep. if your deck is low to the ground and you have enough ramp, 35 is perfectly safe. Yep. If your deck is a little more top-heavy, go stick with 36. Maybe more. Um, yeah. that, is my, that is my overrated take. Don't play, don't play not enough lands. And then the, <laughs> the very last thing I want to mention real fast is uh, I, don't, I don't know where this card comes from. I see it pop up in a lot of green decks. Wrap in Vigor. It's like a three-mana instant that regenerates all your creatures mm-hmm. i think this card is terrible okay but i see it in decks kind of frequently and i don't know why i know i don't know if it's any decks i have currently well i guess like we talked about i don't play a ton of mana dorks really much anymore but i know if i'm heavy on the mana dorks it's in those decks because like we talked about mm-hmm. one fiery cannonade and you're done mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i like to have that as like a backup but yeah i can't really see any other use for it I mean, there, there's uses, but like, yeah, I just, I'm kind of with you. Like, overall, I don't think it's great. I think I, I, I like this card specifically in mono green decks because in mono green, you don't really have a lot of ways to respond to a board wipe. Like, you have mm-hmm. single target ways to make your stuff indestructible, but you don't have a a mass way to protect the board. Yeah, and the argument the argument there could be, you know. Well, if you're mono green, you're probably playing big, heavy, stompy things. Like, they're going to survive the two damage board wipe. And you're <laughs> right. But they won't survive Crypt Rats. And all your little dorks won't survive the two man two damage board wipe. Right. So yep. I like it specifically Here's... in mono green. But once you step outside mono green, you have white ways of dealing with board wipes. And you have counter magic. Like, Rap and Vigor just Here's... shouldn't be indexed outside of mono green. Yeah. Here's Here's my thing with that. Rapid Vigor is a great way to survive Fiery Cannonade and Crypt Rats. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stop uh, Drown in Sorrow. Correct. Doesn't stop Eyeblight Massacre. Doesn't stop Arms of, Arms of Hadar. Yep. Uh, doesn't stop Pestilence. I, I don't know the last time I saw Arms of Hadar, and Drown in Sorrow <laughs> is a very recent downshift. Yeah. Sure. I, I mean, I, I could see I, my I, I could like... see my position changing in the future because, like, I think it's a terrible card in EDH, and I see it all the time there. But Ugh, yeah. But I think in PDH it still has legs, but those legs are wobbling. Sure. Yeah, it's definitely it, it shines in a stompy sort of meta where mm-hmm. electricries and fiery cannonades and stuff are, are everywhere. But but hey, the cards are trapped elsewhere. So yeah, yeah. That is the very end of my list. Liam, uh, take us home. All right, I got a couple I want to go over real quick. Oh. Okay. If you don't mind. Go for it. I lied. No, no. Brad, take us home. Uh, I got really just, I think, well, I got there, there's like three or four I haven't talked about, but there's one that I need to talk about. And it's, I love this. is still, regardless of my, the amount I play the card anymore, I still love it. It's still one of my favorite cards to come out of Commander Legends battles for Battle for Baldur's Gate. And that is your temple is under attack. Uh, the three minute instant <laughs> and white. You can give all your creatures indestructible, or you and opponent each draw two cards. Every word on this card is awesome. The 
The casting cost is in a sweet spot for white. It's an instant. Like, it's just cool. It's a great card overall. If I am not the person that can play this card correctly, and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like that about myself. It's This card gives me such decision paralysis that I rarely end up casting it. I'm holding it in my hand, and if I'm playing white, that means I probably got a good amount of creatures on the board. So I'm like, oh, I need to hold on to this in case of the Crypt Rats, in case of the breath, breath Weapon, in case of the Pestilence. I need to hold on to this. I need to hold on to it. And then none of those board wipes happen, and I'm like, well, shit. I don't want to have Abby draw two cards because they're already far ahead. I don't want Alcadron to draw two cards because they're already far ahead. Like, I get stuck with this card in my hand so often because I'm afraid of choosing the wrong half of it that I just don't end up casting it. And I've just sort of, it's worked its way out of most of my decks, <laughs> honestly. See, you know, so it's a trap. It's a trap for me because I don't know how to play it correctly. In a, in a weird twist, uh -huh. if rap and vigor had a different mode that said I could draw two cards, mm -hmm. I would love rap and vigor. <laughs> Cause then it would be the same card. It would. And it would be in green. I would love that. That, that I modality would, I, yep. would, would make Rap and Vigor completely playable to me. Sure. Because I, I love your temple. Uh, I do too. I, think, I, I really do too. I think I think the, the secret to playing it well, Brad, is, is exclusively just, do you have a different thing you could be doing with your mana? If the answer is yes, then uh, do the other thing. If the answer is no, draw your card. Cast it. And that's how it usually ends up playing. Like, I don't ever not cast it. It'll get cast, and it's usually for the draw side of it. And mm -hmm. it is. It's like, okay, I've kind of exhausted everything else that affects the board or does this or does that. Like, let me just draw some cards and let's go. But yeah, it, I would bet more times than not this card sits in my hand for three to four turns before I cast it. Because I just never know when's the right time, what to do with it. And then if I regenerate my creatures, I'm like, damn, I could have drawn cards instead. Why are you doing this to me? So, and then the other two are sort of a pair. It's Goblin Electromancer and Goblin Anarchomancer. The cost-reducing goblins. I don't like them very much. They're multicolored mana dorks for the most part. They're kind of fragile. They're kind of squishy. They're kind of hard to cast. If you can get them to stick around, like their 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 butts are pretty small, so if you can get them to stick around for, I don't know, three turns, two turns maybe in the right type of deck, you'll get your value out of them. They'll do their thing and they'll provide some defense for you. But for the most part, like it just doesn't happen. I, something's gonna trample over them the turn you cast them. Somebody's gonna remove them. Like they just they feel a little insignificant. You know, if they were, uh, if. If Goblin Electromancer, or not Electromancer, it's a Gruul one, the Anarchomancer, was four mana for a 4-4 four -four that cheapened your red and green spells or whatever, great, sign me up. But the body's too small for the type of deck you're playing, and it just ne they never work out. Like, Electromancer's fine in uh, a Blitz-style deck, a Prowess-style deck, Spell Slingers, that sort of thing. But I don't... It's Both of those are usually the first cards that get cut in their respective decks. I don't know about you two. I don't know. If, Liam, do you play with the, the cost reducers? Uh, I play with them in certain decks. Uh, whenever whenever I'm playing a cost reducer, I intend for the deck to be maybe not competitive, but definitely a little more higher powered. Sure. Yeah. It, yep. I mean, I, I definitely play with the artifact cost reducers in E-Sphinx because that mm -hmm. makes the affinity count for two. Uh, outside of that, I think I have 
Electromancer in one of my Is It decks, but not in both of them. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's it. Oh, so that's all I had really on my list. Uh, what else you got, Liam? Take us home. Yeah, uh, I got two more categories I want to I want to mention. The first one is sure. just uh, fast mana, which is kind of what Dave was covering with like Lotus Petal and Dark Ritual. Mm-hmm. This also kind of falls under tutors. Like if you're playing competitive and the strategy calls for it, do what you got to do. If you're playing casual, you might find that you enjoy games a little bit more without the fast mana. Sure, fair. And the final thing that I want to cover is free spells. Uh, again, if you're playing competitive, do what you got to do. If you're playing casual, you might, not a guarantee, <laughs> but you might find the experience a little more enjoyable by not casting spells that you get to cast for free. Or just not overloading your deck with them. One or two right. of, you know can be fine, but it's when people start just throwing like five or six in maybe maybe 10 plus just because the free spells like you need to understand that a lot some of these cards like snuff out title bore gush come with certain baggage and yep stigmas if you will stigmas right and and it's people ask all the time what they can do to make a deck more fun maybe not more casual but more fun to play different mm-hmm. yes and yep. the three big things i say is take out your tutors reevaluate how much fast mana you're playing reevaluate which free spells you're playing because a lot of times when i'm looking at a deck these are the three categories of cards that don't necessarily fit the strategy they just help enable the strategy faster and it's like you can do different things in these places for tutors, you could just run more card draw. For fast mana, you could just run more ramp. For free spells, you could just run spells that do the same thing but have a mana value of three or less. Like, right. you have alternatives. And for the past couple of years, I, you know, even in EDH, I've been taking tutors and fast mana and free spells out, replacing them with the things I just said. And I'm finding game experiences to be a lot more enjoyable just because it's not the same thing every single time. Yeah. Take- yeah, I know every time I'm I'm in a casual game and someone casts a snuff out for 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 free, it's like, damn. <laughs> right, but like he really but just like, did that. But like if that's, you know, the only one, it's it's when they cast snuff out and then gush and then title ball combo for the win. It's like, okay, dude, like let's right, let's chill, reevaluate. Chill. Like Yeah. I have um my noise marine deck runs thunderclap, mind collapse. Uh, fire blast and gut shot, so that I can. <laughs> ideally, I haven't I haven't done this yet. But, but I think that's part of the dream, strategy, right? Like that is. Oh yeah, yeah. Key to what your commander's trying to do. It's actively yeah. what your commander's trying to do. So like that's fine. Yeah, I'm not. Like, I, I'm I, not I, trying I to like. I wouldn't ambush someone less. with a fire blast to kill their combo piece while right. I'm tapped out, <laughs> and they think that it's safe. I'm right. definitely doing this main phase so that I can yeah. sacrifice all of my lands to have a really big storm turn, <laughs> and then lose. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like a fireworks show. Like, yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. No. Like, if they're enabling the strategy, go for it. But, like, if they're not, if they're just value pieces, like, I find that games tend to be more enjoyable for everyone involved, including the pilot, by just taking out some of this hyper-consistent stuff. Yeah, I didn't um, even think about, like, like Fire Blast, like, Thunderclap, there, all that stuff. There are plenty of amazing removal spells. Do you know how many decks I actually run Snuff Out in? Zero. One. Zero. I run snuff out in zero decks. <laughs> here's, 
It's the a funny snuff out. It's a good card. The last, the last yeah. time I cast snuff out, I had four on tap mana, and I paid the four life anyway because <laughs> I forgot that it had a casting cost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like snuff out's a good card. I just I don't find it to be a very fun experience. Of all my thirty plus decks, most of which are on Moxfield, it's I just searched. It is in three of my decks, and all three of those are competitive. Mm-hmm. So I don't I just don't play it in casual. Yeah. Do you know how many decks I play Gush in? The same amount. One. Oh, yeah, same here. Gush, I play it in one and deck. And it's in a yep. deck that I don't have in paper. It's a digital deck. I play it in so Aether I... Mage where I'm going to draw more cards off Gush. Yeah, I, pl- I play Gush in uh, Siana Esiwa. Mm, there you so, go. So, like, it's 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 a card that's good for the deck, but that deck is also, you know... The, this is kind of a two-sided coin where it's like you can also use the... You can use these cards to depower... A a maybe maybe not a competitive maybe just a maybe just a high powered deck maybe a high powered deck that you want to take down a notch or two bring it to a more casual level have a little less consistency but but still you know consistent game plan but but less linear sure you know you can take these pieces out and and replace them or a deck that might just really struggle to even start in the first place you know you could throw these things in. And it's not going to make the deck competitive. It's just going to kind of make it mid-tier. That's Siana right. and Essior. <laughs> I I set out to make a combo-tastic deck with zero mm-hmm. tutors. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Gush is needed in that deck. A hundred percent Gush is required in that deck. You know, my tutors are my card draw. And attacking with flyers to scry large amounts. Right. Same here. I brewed up. I never built it in paper but I brewed up a Cormella deck that was literally every combina- every combo possible in Grix's colors, but no zero tutors. tutors. <laughs> yep. I think I remember that deck. <laughs> yep. Yeah, like it's... But yeah, same thing. You know, you can do the flip side of, of adding in tutors or fast mana or free spells to your super low, you know, chair tribal decks <laughs> to, mm-hmm, to right. get them to be, you know, somewhat... <laughs> to last a little bit longer, to, yeah. To get them to be functional. But exactly. it's, it's this balance you have to strike and it takes time and a lot of discipline to find that balance but once you do use it speaking of adding powerful but irritating cards to bad decks to make them functional uh-huh when we banned ristic study blake kept it in his goblin test pilot deck fantastic yeah <laughs> like, like in this... protest or no he like he, he he completely recognizes that ristic study needs to be banned everywhere else but he was uh-huh. like When I played the test pilot, I'm going to cast Ristic Study. Everyone at the table is not going to pay one because I need all the help I can get. And I was like, I support this plan. (laughs) Please draw as many cards as you want in that deck. If you just honestly, if you're playing it and you're like, man, my hand's small, and you just start drawing cards without the Ristic Study, like I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's 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 a good strategy, and I support this. Yep. Fantastic list, everybody. Is that all you got, Liam? That's all I've got. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Uh, has any, either of you got anything you want to wrap up the show with before we get out of here? Mm. I don't think anything else came to my head. There, there was a couple that flashed through, but they're nothing nothing too crazy. Yeah, nothing nothing that's too crazy. No, no, I got nothing. I think we covered it all. Sweet. Yeah, I think we got a good, good little episode here. We'll put a bow, bow on it by getting here into the outro. But as usual, we got a few more things before we wrap it up for the week. If you need more Popper Commander talk or have any questions about the format, you can follow us over on Instagram or X. We're just the PDH pod there. You can email the show at thepdhpod at gmail.com. Head on over to the PDH Homebase's website. 
You'll find pretty much the whole PDH community on their Discord server there as well. You can find Liam and I on Twitter or slash X uh, at Popper Command and Popper underscore B respectively. And Dave is literally everywhere else. PDH is being talked about. Uh, all the social links and everything will be down in the in the uh, show details if you want to find out more. And that's going to wrap up episode 78. But we got to give a big thanks to MTG Brad first for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, uh, go brew a deck. But don't let us dictate what cards you play. And we'll see you next week. Peace. Cheers. See ya. I brought proper text to the party. Proper. I brought proper text to the party.